This show is proudly sponsored by Coinspot.com.au, with the largest range of cryptocurrencies anywhere in the Australian market. With an updated verification process, you can now be verified using only your driver's license or passport within seconds. You can instantly deposit funds and instantly start buying and selling your favorite cryptocurrencies in under five minutes. Coinspot are giving away $10 worth of free Bitcoin for each verified user once they make their first deposit. Just go to coinspot.com.au forward slash BTC123. Trader, trade, trader, Cobb Crypto Podcast. This is the Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Trader Cobb Crypto Show. I have with me a guest that you probably will be a little bit familiar with because I was able to sit down with him at the front of the Rockefeller Center, if I am correct, and uh, discuss his projects and what was going on. It's actually Juan Lee of uh, Next Change, who we've got back again because the conversation was so good and the man's in and around everything in crypto, blockchain, and technology. So, Juan, thank you so much for coming back on, mate. Well, it's a pleasure. Um, glad to be back on your show. Mate, I had such a good time last time. I think uh, we need to get you back more frequently. And tonight, I think we want to sort of have a bit of a chat about uh, something in specific, which I, I'm kind of interested in your take on this, absolutely. I've, I've got a few views of my own as well, and we can sort of just riff it out. But we're looking at how ICOs are marketing at the moment, and, and I guess the landscape for ICOs, because we are starting to see it sort of change a bit. Obviously, I think the numbers are there's been something like $6 billion that have been raised in ICOs this year already. It was madness through January, February, and we're starting to see it. The, the appetite ease uh, for a number of reasons. One is Ethereum's coming off and people are a bit scared to use their Ethereum for ICOs. A lot of ICOs are hitting exchanges and actually coming off quite quickly. So the strategy is changing a little bit at the moment because what we can actually do is wait for the exchange, wait for it to drop, and if we like the project, buy in at that level. So the the marketplace is changing. It's very dynamic in the blockchain and crypto space. What are you seeing at the moment? What sort of plans of attack and how is the space morphing from your point of view, Juan? Well, I think you have to look at it from what's happened in the last six months. Uh, I think one of the most important things is that – there's been a lot of bans on digital marketing. So the Twitter ads, the Facebook ads, we know the social media platforms, which have pretty much made it impossible to uh, advertise um, for ICOs. So what we have had is a very much a shift, a shift to, you know, one-on-one, one-to-many kind of communications. So what we see now happening with uh, ICO marketing is, a lot more what we see are projects at events, projects that are having roadshows. These are the kind of the, the things that we are seeing quite quite a bit more. In terms of, you know, because of the price of Bitcoin and ETH has come down, what does that impact? Well, you know, we, you really have a, a, a bifurcation of the market. There are hot deals. And if anyone is familiar with the crypto market, is very much still controlled by the insiders. Insiders meaning key opinion leaders, very much the syndicates. These so basically, there's an inside group and an outside group. Well, the rules behind uh, for the, out, the inside group is very different from the outside group. The inside group, not much has changed in terms of you know uh, trying to gauge um, when to buy it because the hot deals are still very hot. And what we're going to see with that is that they're not necessarily waiting for the 
a listing and waiting for it to drop in price, you know, that kind of strategy, because those are going to be by allocation. Whereas the other people who are not within this kind of category of hot, they have had more difficulty because limited amount of uh, uh, advertisement, um, you know, mediums uh, besides the face-to-face. And then also uh, now that um, Ethereum has come off, much more worried that, you know, the investors are, that the, the price may come off after ICO. Yeah, it's it's definitely shifting to almost a more of like a family office type strategy for a lot of these ICOs. Whereby, if you do have you know family offices in the, in the traditional markets, there's there's a um, I mean it's not just family offices. It's big, it's big money basically. There's there's a group um, of of call it insiders, right? That uh, if you're raising capital, you go to these this this group first. They talk to each other. You know, it's a very easy pool to sort of tap into in these ultra wealthy circles. Now, what we're seeing again here, I have spoken to a few people that are within these circles, and it's very much happening in the blockchain space as well. Um, we're seeing these days as well that the you know that's happening, but we're also seeing a lot more going on in the pre-sale. So the pre-sale is, I guess, the poor man's. Um, discount, you know, the, the poor man's feeling of being able to get into something early, you know, beyond seed. And then we're seeing the public sale being a whole lot less important. Now, you, you did bring into the to the mix um, the fact that Facebook, Twitter, uh, MailChimp, a number of these uh, massive uh, advertising channels with a lot of reach are now basically off the table. Today, however, I'm not sure if you've seen this, but today Facebook have said that they are lifting certain things around advertising in the crypto space. So they're starting to walk back down that pathway, whether it's because they simply have to get some more revenue because they've been dumped by so many with the recent um, you know, bits and pieces that have been going on that have been very, very negative for the space, or whether they've actually done the research to work out, okay, well, we had to stem the bleeding. Uh, you know, The SEC, the people aren't coming after us for that. And now we can start to look at you know, how we can incorporate this properly as a more legitimate industry. Or if it's a strategic move towards them bringing out their own token, I'm not sure. But do you, because it's come back on, I mean, do you think we're just going to see a flood of more ICOs? Because it's a wonderful medium to to advertise. Well, okay. First of all, um, I believe that uh, you know the ICO market is very much you know becoming much more broad based. So there's a lot more participants as well as a lot more. Uh, I guess, different locations where you'll start to see ICO projects coming from. In terms of the actual marketing, um, that is actually news to me. Uh, I'm as a pleasant surprise that Facebook is starting to lift some of the bans or maybe very specific, probably not necessarily generic. I'd say so. I haven't gone into all the detail, but you can be assured I will. <laughs> yeah. So what I think is, is that, you know, what we have is a market today that has gone through a, a bit of, you know, uh, uh, evolution. Um, as you mentioned earlier about the pre-sale becoming so much more important. Well, it has become important. It has become important because of a couple of things. Number one, it states to the market, there is institutional or more, you know, professional demand ahead of the ICO. And also simply because so many of these projects are trying to raise so much money, they can't just rely on, you know, just uh, the public market and then just roll the dice and say, hey, 
in the next few weeks, if I have a public sale ICO, this is how much I'm going to raise. So they have to um, make sure they have a, a lot more raise in the pre-sale ahead of that time. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And I tell you what, the uh, the lifting. I mean, we, we've had. Uh, I've been going to different various events uh, around Australia and different parts of the world, and, and we get approached consistently by ICOs wanting to be on the program um, just for obvious reasons. When the audience went from Facebook, they need to find a way to get their message out there. Um, so, yeah, it, the space is changing. It's changing back. And I think when we were in New York, we were talking about the maturity of the marketplace and how it needs to evolve, grow up, and become something a little bit uh, more akin to traditional market spaces, not in the sense that we need it to be exactly the same, but more in the sense that there's a little bit more legitimacy around it. There's a bit more clarity, a bit more education in the space. Um, when I say in the space, from crypto into the space of traditional investing, we're starting to see that evolution ticking over a little bit. And I think that the ICOs, it's probably the the, the foot, sort of the toe in the water for a lot of the VC funds and whatnot uh, that have already been there, but, but looking at getting into it in a more in a more aggressive way because they can look at that and they can sit down with these people and they can sort of go, well, hang on, uh, you know, right now. You can't advertise here. You you need to raise this much, or we can give you this much, but we want this much. And and they've got that. They've had that bargaining power in their favour um, for the last few months. And I think that's probably why we're seeing a lot more being raised prior to actually any form of public sale at all. The evolution of the space. Are we seeing where we, like the direction it's going at the moment, Juan? Is this being seen as a positive thing, or is this the powers going back to the powers that are? Well. Let me just say that um, this small circle of people, they don't include just family offices. They include a lot of the crypto funds. Um, the crypto funds, yes, some of them are from the traditional hedge fund space, but some of them are actually not at all. They're money managers for the very first time in the crypto space. So I would say that um, what we're starting to see is by and large, the institutionalization of an asset class that is just starting. And I think that's positive, where when you say that projects are focused on pre-sale, well, their focus on pre-sale is because pre-sale is much more professional, institutional, and more reliable in terms of you know, what you can expect. There's a lot of variability in the public market. And the other thing that I think that's very important, and Craig, I think we need to really talk about is you have to these days not just have an ICO strategy, but how to list on the exchange. So, you know, one of the prerequisites for, for many of the uh, crypto funds to invest in you is that you already have to have some letter of intent from an exchange that they will list you. And of course, if you're the larger exchanges, and that's, or if you're going to list on the larger exchanges, that's much better for institutional investors. Absolutely, and it's it's almost become a little bit of a monopoly for these uh, these larger exchanges because you you know if you're looking to raise five to ten, then you can go for getting a listing on whatever you can get onto, right? If you're looking for raising more, if if you don't have one of these top tier platforms, whether it be Binance, Bittrex, OKX, KuCoin, there's a number more of them, but they're they're some of the larger ones in the space at the moment with 
regards to volume. I mean, OKX is, is very big in China still and very big throughout Asia. It just depends on what demographic they're aiming for because we've still got that trickiness around the raising in certain areas or certain countries like the US, for example. There's a lot more hoops to jump through. Where's the most in- interesting market right now for uh, for ICOs to be approaching because it, it's the the landscape's changing. There's not been any massive shifts for the last couple of months that I can think of. Am, am I missing something? Do you think? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, the world is converging to Asia. I'm located in Hong Kong, and you know, we have offices in different locations. Um, one of them, you know, I'm sitting right now um, in New York again, and what hap- what's happening is that. <clears throat> projects from different parts around the world want to raise money in Asia. And the reason why we have definitely a, a large movement where the general public uh, has a large percentage of wallets. There's a, the crypto mu- movement in uh, Asia, although, you know, there's a lot of different countries and they're all slightly different uh, is actually been a very interesting, you know, uh, I guess, change over the last six months, Korea, Japan, um, even uh, most people don't realize that people raise a lot of money in China still, even though cryptocurrency is banned. Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, I've found that out by speaking to a guest I had from the content and ad network who I'll be catching up with over in Hong Kong as well. Uh, they, they've got a huge presence in China. And it's, it's almost like um, you know, anybody that can get a bit of Asia in their, in their following, in their influencer circles, however it goes, if you can tap into that Asian market, it seems to be one that's uh, very, very inviting because it's fairly straightforward. And as you say, there's, there's a, there is a mass market there. It, it's not a, it's, well, it's still a niche, let's be honest. It's still a niche. But there's a lot more people that seem to be involved, savvy and aware of the technology and active in the space. And, of course, there are a lot of people there. Um, I mean, you look at some of the fairs that are coming up in the, in the, in the region. They're massive. Um, they're, they're just ginormous, which is fantastic. And I think that it, it, it would be nice to see – I mean, I don't mind who does it. I just want somebody to do it and step up and sort of take a bit of control of this space, but to sort of bring in some form of legislation, some sort of crypto, um, uh, I don't know, uh, acceptance, if you will, um, to bring the business into that, to give some stability because we've had to see the space shift uh, and pivot quite a lot, and it does disrupt. I mean, it's called FUD. We see that come out, but it's not FUD. It's 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 true. It's fact. People have got to move. Like if a, if a jurisdiction comes down and says, no, you cannot mine here or no, you cannot do ICOs here, it does have an adverse effect on the marketplace. It would be nice to see one area, one region, even if it's just one country with a big population, just steady the playing field a little bit and let us work forward and have to stop dealing with these toys being thrown out of the pram tantrums that we do see and we have seen over the last 12 months. It'd be good to see Asia do that. Yeah, so Asia, um, as you know, is many, many countries. And uh, unlike, let's say, when you're marketing in the US or in, I guess, uh, any large country, uh, you know, you have a little bit more kind of straightforward rules and regulations that's consistent. Whereas in Asia, there's a lot of different rules. In Japan, is a highly regulated market, but if you are registered, you can do all the activities that you normally do when you uh, are trying to market securities. Uh, so, you know, as long as you 
follow the rules in Japan, um, it's a very open market, but you have to follow the rules. Um, in Korea, uh, one of the largest percentage of wallets in the world, everybody's familiar with this. Marketing there is um, a bit more open, but I would also tell you that as many people have tried to raise money in Korea, it's not as straightforward as just going there, pitching on stage, and there, uh, almost everybody in the audience has a wallet. It's not that straightforward. You have to put your time. In the end, Craig, you are building a global brand in three to four months. You have to hit and get in front of your customer multiple times for them to actually start to understand a bit more why your ICO is special. So uh, this goes back to branding 101, which is whatever you do in the ICO market, it's no different than the normal branding strategies you would have, is that just one time in a country is not going to work. And I would also say to you that it's a waste of time to go to any market once because simply you have to put in your time to raise money. It's the classic seven touch strategy to a sale, really, or closing a deal. You seven seven touches. You've got to have seven seven familiarities with somebody before they even consider being involved. Whether that be, you know, it, it, now that maybe Facebook will allow it. Whether it be that you saw them at a show, then it pops up in an advert, then you watch a video. However, that comes. I agree with you. You know, people are throwing money at things because they've got money to throw. Uh, that's starting to ease up a little bit. Um, coming back to the whole Asia thing and the marketing in the space and what's going on, and yes, there are a lot of countries in Asia. I know it's a very broad statement, but do you think that the the competitive, because there are so many countries, right, um, do you think that that might open up a little bit more forward thinking because they're like, well, well we don't want Korea taking over. We've got to do this and we've got to do that and we've got to try and be a step ahead. Do we Do we see that as something that could actually help the space move forward, open up a little bit more? So I think there's kind of two camps. There are the wait and see um, countries, and they're just going to wait and see what happens around the world. They're going to wait for certain jurisdictions to make um, certain regulations, and they're going to wait. Uh, then there are the more proactive markets. Um, I think uh, you know Singapore has been a little bit more proactive than Hong Kong. And those markets are, are actually... Uh, where I start to see uh, a, a bit more, what I, you know, uh, opportunity for them to take the lead because making it much more uh, user friendly for ICOs to take place. But in again, again, I would like to emphasize they're not moving drastically. It's small steps. Small steps in the right direction are still good steps as long as they're well thought out, well planned, and then well executed. What we don't want to see is we don't want to see a rush, a rush to the front of the line and slipping over, falling over, cracking our head open and putting us back six months because we see that often, uh, not just in crypto, but in a lot of businesses. We we try often to uh, to sprint before we've even learned how to walk. You don't go from crawling to high jump, guys. You, you take your time and you've got to work up through that ladder. I don't mind seeing the space moving at a, you know, a considered space, not necessarily slow because this is technology. This is a groundbreaking technology. Um, but I, I, considered steps looks really wise to me. We've seen some positive uh, sentiments and positive attitudes starting to come out. We do see the market continue to fall. 
Now, I'm not too concerned about that um, for the short term. Long term, I'm an investor. Short term, I'm a trader. So it kind of fits me either way. I don't, I don't mind, you know, sitting back if my investments decrease in value. I'm investing in projects I believe in for years ahead. I think that's a really big thing that um, people need to start to look into a little bit more is what's the actual case for the business? What's this ICO doing? How are they pitching it? You know, we, we're gone to the days for the time being. It'll probably come back again. Gone are the days where the turkeys can fly in hurricanes just because everything goes up. I think that the marketing we're seeing uh, in a lot of ICOs, the way they're pitching projects is starting to differ. But I also still do see a lot of projects out there that have a wonderfully intelligent human being that's there with the tech. But that same human being is the one that's pitching and you fall asleep and you don't understand it and they will fail and it does suck. I think they need to really start to sharpen up their their presenting styles, maybe even get somebody in there who is not involved in the project as far as doing all the work, but there's somebody there that can get up and pitch the damn thing because I think a lot of the things, especially from what I'm seeing at these different events I'm going to, a lot of these people understand their business model. They understand the technology. They understand what they're trying to solve, but they don't understand what the people in front of them want to understand of the project. And I think that that's a massive area that we can see these ICOs and different projects pick up. Do you have a similar sort of view? Yeah, so um, in the process of advising ICOs, you watch a maturation from the beginning towards the end of the ICO. So in the beginning, um, you know, uh, I am greeted with a number of people who are pitching or practicing to pitch and they really need a lot of coaching. So that coaching takes place. But, you know, also what they realize is that they're learning not just about their pitching skills, they're actually learning about their own product. Their own product actually is being pitched to an audience. That audience is potentially their customer and they're realizing some of the things that maybe the user experience would not be as good. So there's a big evolution between the beginning and towards the end of an ICO. Uh, There's a lot of learning that takes place very quickly. And I see a lot of, of companies evolve, but I think also what we really need is, you know, with some of these ICOs, there's a lot more polish that they need in not necessarily uh making complex comments but is making those complex comments simple to understand for their audience and and Craig you do this better than anybody take the complicated and make it simple and that's why so many people listen to your show thanks mate it's for me I, I ask the questions I want to know uh, and I ask them in a way that I want to understand it um, I make it very clear that I don't understand everything I'm a good trader but when it comes to this stuff I, I'm still learning um, and I think that's where that's where my eyes roll back in the in the back of my head sometimes if I'm in a, listening to a pitch or a project you get do get to a point where you go oh, you know what this could be the best thing in the world and unfortunately for me I'm not going to invest in this because I don't get it. You haven't you haven't told me what this is. You you, you keep talking about how it's going to do all this stuff, but, but I, I don't get the message. And I see that as a huge area where projects can improve. And, you know, maybe that's where I can help out in some of these projects. I don't know. But honestly, simplifying this 
needs to come to the forefront because traditional investors are just sitting there right now on the sidelines going, oh, I've heard about Bitcoin. Yes, I've heard about blockchain. And they understand that this is something that they should be looking to get involved with, but they're trying to find how do I make sense of this? Now, keep in mind, these people are looking at balance sheets, they're looking at price earnings, growth ratios, debt ratios. They're looking at all the different things that they're used to or they're looking for this because that's what they're used to within the traditional markets with a publicly listed company. Now, they can't get that. They need some sort of other metric, something that even if it just makes logical sense, they can actually sink their teeth into that. And I think that that's something that we need to be working on a lot more within this space. So um, watch this space, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see what we can come up with. <laughs> but, uh, Joanna, look, we've gone 25 minutes. I could talk to you all bloody day. Um, I, I would love to have you on more frequently on this show. It's, it's a very, you're very good to talk with. Uh, you do break things down. And uh, you're, you're a voice that I, I really appreciate having on the show. Is there any other comments you'd like to uh, sort of finish on around the topic of um, basically how ICOs are marketing? Well, the only comment I would like to say in the end is you know, I'm a firm believer in blockchain. But the most important thing for this industry to evolve is that we need to create products that solve real pain points rather than find problems that we need to solve. I think that is probably the most profound comment in a simplistic way that I've heard about the space. I agree. I commend you. And I'm probably going to quote that. <laughs> Thank you so much again for your time, Juan. I really appreciate it. And look, ladies and gentlemen, listening to the program, you will hear more of Juan going forward because I like him as a guest. So if I like him, Highly likely that you like him too. So thanks so much for being on the show again, Joanne. I really appreciate your time. I look forward to sitting down with you and uh, catching up in Hong Kong in the next week or so. Yes, look forward to seeing you. Thanks, Craig. Wonderful. Catch you later, guys. Bye for now. The Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast. Check out TraderCobb.com because experience matters. This show is proudly sponsored by Coinspot.com.au, with the largest range of cryptocurrencies anywhere in the Australian market. With an updated verification process, you can now be verified using only your driver's license or passport within seconds. You can instantly deposit funds and instantly start buying and selling your favorite cryptocurrencies in under five minutes. Coinspot are giving away $10 worth of free Bitcoin for each verified user once they make their first deposit. Just go to coinspot.com.au forward slash BTC123. Views are of the advertiser, not TraderCobb or the audio presenter.